are strangers in a strange land, and that's the series that we've been talking about as we've been looking into 1 Peter and seeing how we are strangers in a strange land. We've been reminded of the early church and how they found themselves spread throughout the known world, strangers to what was going on around them, exiles from their heavenly home, but here on this earth to be ambassadors to a lost world. As Jonathan said, it's, it, it is interesting that we are becoming more and more strange to our modern world, especially to America. Um, but it's not, it's not like this is the first time in history this has ever happened. We've seen this throughout time. Uh, what I'm amazed at is the, the avenue in which this is, we are becoming stranger and strange, uh, strangers in a strange land. Just as he was mentioning, uh, one of the issues that has become very uh, controversial is the understanding of different men's and women's roles. Uh, even, matter of fact, what, are the, what is an essence of a man or the essence of a woman? I don't know if you saw the headlines this past week at CNN ran an article uh, about a six-year-old Colorado boy named Coy Mathis. Now, what's controversial about this little boy is that he is uh, a boy, born a boy, but is being raised as a girl, and he identifies himself as a girl. And the, it's controversial because um, he wants to use the girl's restroom. And the parents were responding in outrage, and it's caused this controversy to go on within the school. And we're seeing that this is nothing new. We saw it in our own backyard at East Aurora High School that this past October, where the school board voted unanimously to allow so uh, transgendered students, these students who believe that they are born with a certain set of genitals but yet identify with the opposite gender, wanted to use the restroom of the gender that they found themselves identifying with. And the school board voted unanimously in favor of allowing that to occur. But the parents responded with a way that they should, an outrage. Because who is to stop some kid going, wow, I feel this way this week. I'm going to go in there. I'm going to use that restroom. And it's just caused controversy um, across the, the school board, which is not only uh, in the community, but it's not only reverberated here, but it's reverberated to other parts of the United States. And it's, it's ended up in greater discussion on what is a man and what is a woman. And it's, we're seeing that more and more. There is so much confusion in regards to what does it mean to be a man and what does it mean to be a woman. And we've seen titles of books even talk about this, right? Men are from Mars. Women are from See, we understand that. It's become part and parcel of our culture, that we understand men and women are different. Um, some have described it this way. Women have minds that are like spaghetti. Now, okay, don't, guys are like, yeah, right. I've been saying that for years. No, it means that women are multitasking, and they're going in a lot of different directions. Men, we are like waffles. We're focused, we're compartmentalized, and we look at one thing in life. I, I mean, some of you even eat that way. How many of you just eat one thing at a time and you'll go around your plate? See? Yeah. Okay. The other guy, you're just the brave one. I know there are other guys here that are like that. But men and women, it doesn't take a genius to see that men and women are different. We can see that in many different realms of our world. We see that, uh, we see that just in movie choices. Girls like a chick flick where they can come together and cry at blossoming love. And then tragedy and drama strikes I mean, men like anything with fire, superheroes, and car crashes. I mean, we see that all the time, that men and women are different, and it's blessedly so. We, we even see that in different movies where you see the girl is usually portrayed as the damsel in distress looking for a hero. Now, I find that very interesting, that men also value the opposite side of it. Men value movies where the man is a hero superheroes. And we, we want to be the hero, and women want a hero. You know, there was even a song that captured that in the uh, 1984 movie, Footloose. Remember that the song, Holding Out for a Hero by Bonnie Tyler, where she says, where have all the good men gone, and where are all the gods? Where's the streetwise Hercules to fight the rising odds? Uh, late at night, I toss and I turn, and I dream of what I need, and she, uh, uh, I dream of a uh, uh, a white knight upon a fiery steed. I need a hero. I need a hero. It's a great workout song, by the way. It's great. It gets me pumped every time. I do more push-ups. Okay? But it, it's true. It captures the essence of the desire of a man to be a hero and a woman wanting a hero. 
Now, I'm not saying that women are helpless. I'm not saying that at all. Uh, I grew up in a single-parent household. I saw my mother do a lot of things that a man could do, but there still she couldn't be a man. And there was that, that ethos of needing that. And we, we see that there are differences between men and women. And, and Peter understood that. Peter understood that in our world, in his world specifically, that men and women had different instructions because they had different roles in the home and in the church. And it's imperative that we recover that. And the more that we recover that, as Jonathan mentioned, we will continue to be even more strangers in a strange land because our culture is trying to remove the distinctions between men and women and create this androgynous, asexual society where men and women are, are, are completely without differences. Now, one of the things that we've seen feminism do is that feminism had a good aspect in that they were calling for equality of dignity between the sexes. But where feminism failed is that they tried to remove even the distinctions between our ontology, understanding of being that are greatly influenced and determined by who we are as genders. I cannot think for the life of me like a woman, and nor would anyone ever want me to. We can't. I mean, women can't think like men. Men can't think like women. And, and it's it's a good thing. There is unity and diversity in how we've been created together. And what we need to do is go back to the Word of God and say, what does the Bible teach us about how we are to be as men and as women? What does it mean, men, to be a hero? To be the hero that she wants you to be. To celebrate your masculinity, not in a way that is domineering, not a, that, a, that is a way that is abusive, but in a humble servant leadership of being who God has purposed and planned you to be. So with that in mind, we turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, if you haven't already. But before that, I want us to pray and ask for God's blessing on our time together today. Father God, we come before you hungry to know what does it mean to be a man? Not only just a man, but a man who follows you, that is passionate about you, a man who desires to be the man that you desire and purpose us to be. Lord, I pray today that you remove any of the cultural influences, or still them at least in our minds, long enough to be able to hear your word spoken to the quietness and solitude of our hearts. Lord, please, even though we might have had bad examples done before us, let us look at how you have designed men and women. Lord, help us to see the blessed, blessed nature in it. Help us to see that there is fullness of joy when we are pursuing it wholeheartedly. And may your name receive glory in us and through it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So turn with me, if you haven't already, to 1 Peter chapter 3 as we'll be walking through this. Now, before we really get into this, I want us to, uh, as we look at what it means to be a hero, I want to pause for a moment and do a little bit of review from what we spoke about two weeks ago. Because two weeks ago, we spoke about uh, the married ladies and how God has designed married ladies to be. Because um, God is speaking to each one of us, and we see that as we follow His Word, we do find fullness of joy. And I wanted to review that for a moment. First of all, I want us to see that becoming a hero means accepting your God-ordained role. That God has given a role both for men and for women. And we see that specifically with men. And the Bible shows, and we have seen unequivocally, that men and women are different. Uh, Wayne Grudem, which we spoke about a few weeks ago, he's an evangelical theologian, probably one of the most um, world-renowned experts on gender roles, specifically between men and women, he said this, just as a, a bit of a statement that we can look at here, the man's responsibility is to provide for and protect, and the woman's responsibility to care for the home and nurture children. So he says that there is a role. Now, there are three aspects to this role that I want us to see, men, before we really jump into our text, and I'm looking back through um, uh, a plethora of scriptures to see uh, what God has for us as men. First of all, God has ordained men that you to be the, provi be the provider. You are to be the provider. Now, last week I had mentioned that I was, uh, or uh, I don't know if you knew this or not, but I was speaking at a, a retreat for Russians, actually, in Ashford, Connecticut. And uh, during retreats that I, I speak at, I, I often do a question and answer session 
where I allow people to ask whatever question they want to ask from, uh, from the audience. And uh, I give them my cell phone number, and then they text them to me. Then they can be somewhat anonymous, because people have a hard time asking very personal questions. So one of the questions really kind of broke my heart. Uh, young man, uh, a man said, should a man feel less like a man because his wife is the breadwinner? Now, it's interesting that he asked that question, because I was even studying this passage. Because men, we do struggle with this. Uh, I think, especially in our society today, where your wife might have more education than you, she might be smarter than you, she, she could have a great deal of more opportunity than you, and looking at the economy, the way that it does, she becomes the primary breadwinner. And how then are we to internalize that? What does that mean for each one of us? Well, in our, in our society today, that, that can be a very difficult thing for a man. I'm just saying very, very honestly that as a man, when the, the woman is being the provider, and I'm not, I'm not begrudging that, I'm not saying if a woman has a great job that she needs to quit it so her husband can ha- be that provider, but I am saying that he needs to be working and he needs to be having the essence of knowing that he is a provider. Uh, and I've seen the tension that it cause, causes within homes. I know of one Christian couple that really do struggle with this. Um, she, he, he's in, a, in a, a, a field excuse me, that this economy is not really needed right now. And he is really struggling because his wife's field of expertise is extremely needed and highly valued and very rare. So she's making a lot of money, and it's playing on him. It's playing on him. And it's really struggling because why? Because God has ordained the husband and the wife to have different roles, and the man is to be the provider. We see that biblically, uh, but we also see that just within the heart of each man. Now, Wayne Grudem said this. He said that there is the temporary role of reversal can happen at times for a season, and it's usually due to an involuntary unemployment, like such as this man that I was mentioning, or while the husband is getting further education. And in those circumstances, these are entirely appropriate arrangements. Yet the longer they go on, the greater stress and strain it can put on the home. Also recognize that there can be a permanent disability or absence of a husband in the home, and that can create the necessity, a necessity for the wife to be the primary provider. But families in which that happens often testify to the unusual stress it brings, and they wish it not to be so. Now, that can happen, and I'm not going to say, again, that the woman needs to go out and quit her job. I'm not saying that. Uh, I, I'm saying then is that the man needs to be having a say in the direction and what's going on. and needs to be empowered to be the man that God desires that he be. Now, I want us to see biblically where this comes up. If you want to say to me, where, where is this found within the scripture? I want to show you this. Uh, biblical support for the idea that the man has the primary responsibility, and that's what we're talking about, to protect his family is found. This is uh, protecting his family because he's also to be the protector. Is found in Deuteronomy 20 through 7 through 8. Men go forth to war, not women. Here and in many Old Testament passages, um, 24 5, he's to be... Uh, as Joshua 1 through 4, Judges 4, 8 through 10. And I'm going to come back to that actually for a second because I, I realize I'm getting ahead of myself. That he's not only to be the provider, but he's supposed to be the protector uh, of the family. Um, the, where the f- verses for pr- primary provider is found in Genesis 2.15. I don't have this on the screen, excuse me. 2.18 through 23, 3.6 through 19, and 1 Timothy 5.8, 1 Timothy 5.10 and 1 Timothy 5, 3 through 16. Those unequivocally show that the man is to be the primary provider, but he's also to be the protector. And that's what I wanted to look at, what I just was referring to, that the man is to be the primary protector. And biblical su- the, the biblical support for that idea is found within Deuteronomy 27 through 8, that men are to be the ones that go off to war, to give their lives, to protect, to guard, to guide we see that within Joshua 1.14, Judges 4, 8 through 10. Barak doesn't get the glory because he insisted that a woman accompany him to, into battle. Nehemiah 4.13 through 14, the people are to fight for their brothers, homes, wives, and children, but does not say they are to fight for their husbands. Jeremiah 50.37, it's the disgrace of a nation when its warriors become women. Nahum 3.13, behold your troops are women in your midst is a taunt of derision. Matthew 2, 13 through 14, Joseph is told to protect Mary, to guard the baby Jesus by taking them to Egypt. Or Ephesians 5, 25, a husband's love should extend even to a willingness to lay down his life for his wife, 
something in many soldiers in battle have done throughout history to protect their families and their homelands. In 1 Peter 3, 7, a wife is a weaker vessel and therefore the husband is generally stronger, has a greater responsibility to use his strength to protect his wife. Now, what does that mean? It means this. You should be the one getting up in the middle of the night when something goes wrong or a noise goes off in the house. It means that you should be walking on the outside when you're walking uh, outside closer to the street when you're walking with your wife. These are just small things to be protecting her, to be guarding her, guiding her, loving her. You're to be not only providing for your family, but you're to be pr the protector, the guardian, willing to lay down your life in a heartbeat for your children. Now, this even continues when you're older. You can still be praying for them and guiding them. If you're a seasoned saint and your children are grown up, you still can be a voice in their life. I'm not saying you have to be teaching them all the time, but I'm saying you can be praying for them and let them know that you are still there for them, to be there for them, to, to help guide them and give them counsel through life. You're to be the provider, the protector, and you're also to be the primary spiritual leader. Now, your wife might have more education. She might know the Bible better than you. But God has still tasked you to be the primary spiritual leader. Now, I recognize that there are some that are here today that don't have a husband who is a believer. Or he has a tendency to be a, to be a dominator, not the humble servant that the word purposes him to be. And for that, that is the exception to the rule. But men, we are to take up our responsibility to be the primary teachers as Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 through 26 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Meaning that you're, you're washing your wife with the word, meaning that you're continually speaking truth and love so that she can have her soul cleansed. And more in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that you need to sit down and have to do a Bible study with your child all the time. That's not what I'm saying. And even again, if your children are adults, how do you say, you say, how do I do that? Or how do I do that for my grandchildren? The idea is that you continually speak truth into their life. The book of Deuteronomy chapter 6, which I don't have behind me, talks about talking about the truth of God when you get up in the morning, when you go to bed at night. When you walk along the street, when you're traveling, the idea is, is all the time you're talking about Christ. Now, I grew up in a single-parent household for many years. It was me, my, my mother, my brother, and my sister got married. They're several years older than me, and they were out of the house. But I spent a lot of time with my grandfather. And I would remember sitting in the car with him and working with him. We would, we, we would work around the farm together. And he was always talking about Jesus. He was always telling me about him. When we get along the car, and as a kid, I didn't want to hear that stuff. I wanted to go play G.I. Joe and shoot things. But he wanted to talk. And you know what? After a while, it started sinking in. You keep talking about the Lord, to be teaching, to be instructing, to be guiding. There are times when you do need to sit down and read the Word. I remember my grandfather having me come and sit down right beside him when I was 12, and he took me through John 1.1. I can remember it like it was plain as day. I have never forgotten that moment because he spoke truth into my life. He cared enough to take time and speak truth with me. That doesn't mean I followed what he said, but it means that it stuck with me for years and years. I can't tell you, men, what it, your role means to your wife and your children. And I don't care how old you are. I don't care if you're a father or you're not yet a father. I don't care if you're a grandfather. You will, if, if Lord willing, if you are not a father, one day God will have you be a father or you can be a mentor. Or if you're a father, grandfather, God has given you this unique role. I don't know if you remember this, but uh, two years ago we had our annual meeting as a church. And I asked a question for all the tables. If you could go back in time and change one thing, what would it be? Do you know what the number one answer was? I would go back and spend more time with my dad. That struck me. And it was a, a, a verbal, verbal and tangible reminder to me how much the father's role is, not only as a father, but as a husband, that God has given you that, that it will affect a generation. And many of us can testify to that in a negative way. We can testify to how our father was messed up. We don't want to be like that. 
But you have the chance right here and right now to either take that baton and follow in the same way or you can take it in a new way and start an entirely new legacy. You have that opportunity. But God has ordained that you be the primary spiritual leader. Now with that in mind, we've got that out of the way. I want to go into our text to see what God has for us. And also, not as seeing what just God has for us, but to understand how the fall has affected everything. We referred uh, two weeks ago to the Danvers Statement. Before I jump into that, I wanted to, to remind you of the Danvers Statement. The Danvers Statement was written in 1988 in Danvers, Massachusetts, because it was a response to what they saw as confusion going on within genders uh, in the world. And they, they noticed the effects of the fall, and I want us to see this for a moment to see how the fall has affected our understanding of our roles as men and women. In the home, the husband's loving, humble headship tends to be replaced by domination or passivity. This is the guy that smacks around his family and the guy that just sits on the front of the TV and just flipping through channels. The wife's intelligent, willing submission tends to be replaced by usurpation or servility. She's trying to usurp the role of the authority that is above her, or she just completes completely uh, a doormat for him to walk over. In the church, sin inclines men to a worldly love of power or an abdication of spiritual responsibility and inclines women to resist limitations on their roles or to neglect the use of their gifts in appropriate ministries. Now, what that is saying is, is that the fall affects us all in different ways for men and for women. And we can see that in the extremes. But God is trying to show us through his word what he wants of us. And men, we've talked about the ladies two weeks ago, but now we're going to talk about the men. First of all, we have to see, men, that we have a responsibility as we look within our text today. And we need to be embracing our responsibilities that God has for us. Just like the Mission Impossible, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to embrace the responsibilities that God has for you. Now, let's see what our responsibilities are, shall we? First of all, he begins with likewise husbands. The word here means also, or likewise, or continuing on in the same area of discussion. Peter's not commanding submission here. He had been talking about that to the previous groups that he was addressing. The idea that he is considering yourself in the realm with instructions. And what God, God in essence is saying, pay attention to this, men that you have to live with your wives in an understanding way. What does that mean? The idea is living knowledgeably with them. It's the idea of you have to live with your wife in an understanding way, meaning you have to connect with her to understand her. So you need to be connecting to your spouse. That's the first thing. You are responsible for connecting to your spouse. Now, we've heard the, the old adage, and I've shared this before, that men marry women expecting them to never change, and they do. Women marry men hoping they will change, and they don't. Men and women are completely different. Now, men, we have a tendency to approach women very like we do any other compartmental thing in life, that women will operate just like we do. That doesn't work that way. <laughs> Anybody that has been married for a period of time knows that. Uh, but yet we keep saying, why do, why do women think the way that they do? Because they're not men. God has made them to think differently than we do. You know, there's a reason why a woman likes to beautify her environment and you just have a picture of dogs playing poker on your wall. Men and women are different. We are. We're different. And we need to understand that. And what Peter is saying here is that men and women are created differently. He says, live with your wives. And the idea is, live according to knowledge. And it means studying your wife and understanding that there is not a one-size-fits-all. That women are different. They're different with one another, but there are certain constants. We have to remember that. It's like, and when you approach your wife, don't think that it's always going to be one plus one equals two. It doesn't work that way. It's more like baseball. You know, have to know where you're at in the middle of the game. You have to know how many people are on base. You have to know all of these different factors before you talk with her. To know all these things that are going on in a woman's mind. Because a woman thinks differently than you do. We have to understand that. And it means that we need to be understanding her needs. 
live with your wives in an understanding way, which I laugh at that because that's one thing I've realized. I'm never going to understand women. I'm never. My wife, I'm surprised she's not saying amen. But it's true. I need to be understanding her needs. Now, I have learned certain things about women through being around them my whole life. Um, and I, I, I understanding a woman's needs. Now, first of all, we're going to go through several different needs that a woman has. First of all, um, we need to understand her needs physically. She has needs just like you do, men. She has needs for shelter, food, rest, and exercise just like us. And from what I've seen, this again shows up in different ways in different women. women. But what I've seen with women is that a woman will, exer- will work herself to death until a man can come along and give her, like, stop, relax, rest. She has physical needs. She also has emotional needs. She has emotions more than you do. Have you not figured that out? Women have different emotional needs than men do. Now, it doesn't mean that men don't have emotions, and, it, and that varies even between men. There is some men that they have no emotion whatsoever, and there's other men that, that will end up crying at romantic comedies that their wife will force them to watch. It wasn't me. All right? But men and women do have different emotional needs, and that can be affected by, by, by a myriad of different things. I mean, I, I'm amazed, and I still don't understand, ladies, if you can help me understand this, why do you intentionally watch movies that make you cry? I, I don't understand that. You know, a, a woman will just watch a movie to make her cry, and I'm, my wife's like, let's just watch this movie. I'm like, I have no, d- if I ever see a Jane Austen movie, shoot me. <laughs> I don't know what it is about those movies. Uh, the women like those movies. I don't, but that's okay, because I'm not a woman. But a woman has emotional needs. She also has needs spiritually. She needs to get away, to have some time to herself, to have time to commune with the Lord, to read, to learn, to grow. She not only has spiritual needs for you to be leading her, to be praying with her, praying for her, she longs for that. But she also has needs relationally. Women are relational creatures much more than we are. We just had the ladies do your heart sisters thing. Okay, we don't ever have, heart, I mean, I can't even put heart brothers in the same realm. All I think of is punching, and then I think of kidneys, so I think of kidney brothers. I, I mean, we don't have anything like that. Like, I can't imagine making a thing for a guy, a little craft and dropping it off. I mean, I, I would be like putting power tools there. So I'd be like, you know, here's some screwdrivers, Yeah! You know, we don't, we have a, men, we don't have a tendency to do that. Women are relational creatures. They like to get together and just, they like, they like to get together and talk. I don't know why, but they do. Guys don't get together and talk. They talk, they talk about football. They'll talk about games, and they'll talk about which one's fatter or more bald. But you don't ever see women do that. You don't ever see one woman walk up to another woman and go, fatty. <laughs> I mean, you never see that happen. Guys do that, you know? Men and women are different relationally with one another. So she has relational needs. She also has conjugal needs. Conjugal needs. We see that men and women, though, are different here. We've even seen women described as crockpots. Men are microwaves. And different things affect women differently. I mean, this isn't a surprise to anybody. But in our increasingly uh, pornographic culture, we're seeing that, the, that there is a lot of confusion. Men have very wrong perceptions of the conjugal needs of women, interpreting their needs as his needs are. And they are far, far different. Many different things can affect the mood of a woman that can't affect a man. I mean, a man, you could have just, you could have just lost your grandmother. You could have had fired from your job. You could have someone shoot your dog. And you could have the flu, and you're still in the mood. A woman receives a letter from a second cousin once removed about someone breaking her leg and it's over. It's just different that way. And we have to understand those things. That, but each one does have their need in turn. And the Bible does talk about that. And we need to be in communication with one another about those things within the context of marriage. Not abusing that right or forcing. That's not what, when he talks about wives submit to her husband, that's not what it's talking about there talking about being a student of your spouse. And we need to make sure that we're communicating about our physical needs, both as women and men, not demanding, not forcing, but communicating and being considerate with one another. 
Now let's get back to our text. We are to be showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Now, interpreters differ over what weaker vessel means in terms of delegated authority, emotions, or physical strength. And Peter here is probably thinking of the general truth that men are physically stronger than women and may be tempted to threaten their wives through physical or verbal abuse. Now, I would say that this means understanding that men as a gender are physically stronger. That's why we can open up jars and kill spiders. You know, those are the, some of the things that men, have, men and women are different. And it's amazing to me, though, how our culture is dividing this. There was an article that appeared recently by Captain Katie Petronio in the Marine Corps Gazette entitled, Get Over It, We Are Not All Created Equal. It's talking about women in combat. And this woman who was the tops of her class, she had the greatest physical endurance um, results out of people in her class. She had served in the field. And she said, men and women are different. And she said this, going into, it's not that a woman can't run an operation or have the ability to do it. It's the understanding that in the field of battle, that men and women are different. It's not saying that women aren't brave. She's not saying that. But she is saying that I noticed a toll being taken on my body that it didn't do to the men. She said, I couldn't lift as much as they could. I couldn't run as fast. And we were doing 16-hour days. And I started getting restless leg syndrome. And then I, I started noticing that she wasn't able to menstruate. And it went through fertility issues. Her body mass was being reduced at a rapid rate, greater than the men around her. And she, by the fact that she was slower in the weight that she could carry, it made it very difficult. And she was ex uh, exposing her fellow soldiers to greater fire uh, fighting because uh, uh, she couldn't move out of the way quick enough and they had to wait on her and then they were exposing themselves to further danger. And so she's saying there that she, we are different. And she said, get over it. We're different. And it's amazing to me that we, we, we are so confused anymore. And it's not that one is worse than the other. It's not that there's not a capability or a strength. It's not it. It's the understanding that God has created the two differently. And when they're focusing within the realms that God has made them to be, there is greater joy in how it's to be done. And as men, you're to be treating your wife as the weaker vessel. Now, it doesn't mean that she is weaker. Weaker does not mean less than. It means greater honor of. Treating with her with honor in the role that God has for her. And that means honoring the role that she has. Honoring the role that she has. Write that down. That's the, the next point within your notes. Honoring her role. See, the word for honoring is a present act of participle. It means to assign, to show, to pay respect. A woman also needs to be respected, to be appreciated, to realize what she's doing. And, and I, I recognize that some people work in the home and some work outside of the home. Um, Proverbs 31 has the woman working outside of the home to help pro provide for her household. But it's also showing that a man needs to recognize that. You know, and when I hear of guys come home and they say to their wives, what would you do all day? I'm, I, I love that one story. I don't know if you've heard it. But the guy that came home and he sees his children jumping up and down on the couch. There's cereal everywhere. Milk is spilled. The blender is flying out. Everything's running at the same time. There's toilet paper coming from the upstairs bathroom down the stairway. He walks up. He sees his wife in bed reading a book. And he's like, what are you doing? She goes, remember when you used to ask me what I do all day? I didn't do it today. To show that we are, she, she's doing a lot. I mean, I think sometimes those who are, the women who are working inside the home have a very difficult place. I'm not saying that women who work outside of the home don't. But I'm saying is that I think we undervalue what a wife and mother does. We, we don't realize that the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. Very, very true. And that is an intangible thing. And sometimes it's very difficult having a conversation with a, if you have young children, with a toddler all day long. Needing to get out. Having cabin fever. Wanting an adult conversation. We have different roles. And those change over time. And that's what it also means to understand her needs. That a woman is changing over time when she's young and she's newly married and when she has younger children and then older children and then she goes into the menopausal years. Those are things that are happening. Hormones play a factor in that. 
You need to be able to understand that. That's what it partially means of understanding her needs. And I laugh at that when Peter says, you are to live in an understanding way, because that's the one thing that men have a very hard time doing. Understanding. Men, we're rather dense. You know, we can read what's going on in a game and what needs to happen in a game, but yet we can't read what's going on in our, the, wives, our, the life of our wife. And we need to understand that, that if we don't do this, if we don't try to live with our wives in an understanding way, then that will affect our prayers. And that will result in having our prayers hindered. That's what Peter is talking about here. Look back at our text in verse 7. He says, Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers not, may not be hindered. If we do these things that God wants us to do, our prayers will be unhindered. But if we don't do these things, then our prayers will be hindered. What does that mean? Well, it means that our relationship with God vertically is often displayed with our relationship with fellow men horizontally. When we are horizontally not right with men, it's very hard to be also right with God and vice versa. But the closest re relationship that we have with another person on this earth is to be your spouse. And when things aren't right with your spouse, it's going to affect your relationship with God. Because the Bible talks that the marriage relationship is a reflection of Christ's love for his church. And it's a very intimate relationship. I've seen men that have a very hard time with this. Because they, they look at just the relationship with God, not understanding the relationship with their wife is a great reflection and an indication of the reality of the relationship with God. So when you're not having that relationship with your wife right, it's going to result in your own prayer life being hindered. This is what John Piper said about this passage. He, he, he uh, said this, If you want your prayers to be helped and not hindered, you have to live with your wife in a certain way. There has to be an effort to understand her so as to know her needs. There has to be a special solicitousness of her weaknesses and what she especially needs from you. Solicitousness for the, I can't even say it right. Solicitousness. It means that you need to ask her what you need, what she needs. To communicate with her, to connect with her, to talk with her. Many men, that's not our strong suit. We're not good at communication too often. There has to be recognition that she is a fellow heir of the grace of life, which was referring to salvation, by the way. Heir of the grace of life and an, an accompanying bestowal of honor rather than any belittling or demeaning. Don't talk to your, down to your wife. Don't try to label her or call her an idiot. Don't, don't call one another names. You know, I was talking to a, a couple that I met when I was at the retreat the, they're a young, newly married couple. I mean, they're married eight months. And I said, have you had your first fight yet? And, and they, they just kind of smiled because that's not the normal question they get asked. I said, how many fights have you had? And they smiled at one another again. And I said, let me ask you this. Are you fighting fair? We're all going to fight. As long as there are two sinners in a marriage, you're going to have fights. And she's, the, the couple said, what do you mean by fighting fair? I said, don't call one another names. And don't bring up the past if you've forgiven it. Those are two major things. And don't go to bed angry. If you call one another names, that's demeaning the other person. You need to be loving them enough. You don't see Jesus calling his, his bride names. You've got to respect her and love her and honor her. And your children, by the way, if you have children in the home, are watching that. And they will treat their children or their spouse, the way that you see how you're treating your spouse, or how you treat your wife, your son's going to treat his wife the same way. Ladies, if, you, if you're a married woman, and you're treating your husband in a demeaning way, your daughter will grow up and do the same thing. We have to understand that you're leaving a legacy. It's not so much about what's taught as much as it is what is caught. And they're watching you. The example is the greatest thing that we leave. And how you treat one another will be a huge indication of how they treat one another. But Piper goes on. He says, belittling or demeaning. When we husbands live like this, with understanding, tender care, and honor, our prayers will not be hindered. If we do not live like this, our prayers will be hindered. 
He's just simply stating what the text has already shown for us. We're to love our wives in such a way that our prayers will not be hindered. Now, I mentioned at the onset that a woman wants a hero, which means that she wants you to fight for her. Make sure that you are fighting for your marriage relationship. You've got to fight for your marriage. You know, some people say you get married and then you just let it all go. You know? No. You need to be cultivating that. You need to be fighting for your marriage to show her that you are still the love of her life, to woo her, to romance her. Women want romance. You need to romance your wife. I know that I can do better at this. I know all of us can do better at this. Fighting for your marriage relationship. Now, what does that mean? It means three things. First of all, you need to love her as Christ loved the church. These are good general principles. You need to love her as Christ loved the church. As Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 through 33, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The mystery, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects your, her husband. If you want to show your love for your wife, that involves you giving of yourself so sacrificially that she's changed. It's how you treat her, how you love her. Notice that they are heirs with you of the grace of life. It's not that you are better than your wife or you're receiving salvation that she's not, that you are both equally recipients of God's salvation. And we need to be living with her in that light, knowing that she is a co-heir of salvation. She also will be saved provided she has placed her faith and trust in Christ. So living with her as a co-heir of salvation. Men, when a woman was created, she wasn't created from your foot that you would rule over her. She didn't come out from your head that she would dominate you. She came across from the rib, which was from the side, because she's equal in dignity and in value in the sight of God. And both men and women will be saved. It's not like the, 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 uh, the apocryphal gospels. I don't know if you've ever seen this. These are, these are uh, or the Gnostic gospels. Every year, the History Channel runs some articles on these so-called books that were banned from the Bible. And the reason they were banned, and they were banned, is because the church recognized that they weren't part of, they weren't inspired of God. They were, they were fake from the very beginning. And one of those says that Mary Magdalene, in order for her to enter the kingdom of God, she must become a man. That's how dumb these are. They were so obviously off from the very beginning. That's not what Peter is saying. It's saying that men and women are equal, and, but they have different roles. And to recognize, men, that she is a co-heir of salvation with you, and you need to treat her as such. Lastly, it also means that you need to be leading courageously when times are tough. Leading courageously when times are tough. You know, it's easy to talk and talk about being a hero. But heroes are proven during very difficult circumstances. It's easy to talk about, but hard to do. See, Tony Evans once said, In our war against terrorism, there are special forces. The Army, Army Rangers, the Green Berets, the Delta Force. He said, These are special people who are cut out from the crowd, who are set apart from the rest of the general armed services. These are no ordinary soldiers. They are cut out from and above the rest. See, what he's saying there is God is calling certain men to be sanctifiers who set themselves apart and who are set apart for the purpose of transformation of their mates from where they are into what they ought to be. As in that, you are leading your family, you are protecting your family, and you are set apart to serve and love and die if necessary for your wife, and your children. And again, this doesn't 
while it, it mainly sp- we look, have been looking at the avenue of someone with children in the home, the idea is, many, even as you're an older man, you're to be praying and trying to leave a legacy with your children or your grandchildren, to be in prayer for them, to be inviting them to church, to be teaching them whenever you have opportunity, and to be leading your family even now. It's not too late to leave a legacy. Now, for those who are, are single here and that do not have those mates yet, men, these are the men that you are to aspire to be. For the single ladies that desire to be married, these are the men that you should want your future husband to look like. And maybe if you're a single parent and you have a son or a daughter, you need to be teaching your son or daughter, teaching your son to be this type of man and teaching your daughter to look for this type of man. Because in our gender-confused world today, this increasingly androgynous society upon which we are finding ourselves is being crashed upon the rocks of cultural conformity. We need to be able to look to the lighthouse of the Lord to see that His Word is speaking truth into our lives, that we know how we are to live and be. The cry of our heart, to be the hero. Ladies, to have that hero. I want to conclude with a song for them, and it's a song, but it's also my prayer. It's a song called Lead Me by Sanctus Real. Perhaps you've heard of the song. But it's written by a man who recognized that he was pursuing all of these other things, dreams that he had, but he was failing to love, lead, and live with his family in the sacrificial way that Christ desired. I'd like us to listen in and listen to the words, and then I'll conclude our time once we listen. see my wonderful life almost perfect from the outside in picture frames I see my beautiful wife always smiling but on the inside oh I can hear her saying lead me with strong hands stand up when I in their innocent eyes they're just children from the outside I'm working hard I tell myself they'll be fine they're independent but on the inside oh I can hear them saying lead me with strong hands stand up when I Give. 
Great song, huh? Great song. I think that's our prayer. For, it's my prayer for all the men here. And again, I don't care what stage of life you're at. You can still lead. It's not too late. doesn't matter what mistakes you've made. With the help of God, the power of His Spirit, by having a humble attitude, confessing before Him, you can lead. Whether your children are grown, you have grandchildren or great-grandchildren, you can still leave a legacy. Men, God's calling you to be the hero. Be the hero that God wants you to be. Let's pray. Father, we recognize that by ourselves, we are helpless and hopeless. Lord, we need your strength by the power of your spirit as we live under the authority and umbrella of your word. May we experience the joy of doing and knowing that we are following the path that you have purchased and purposed for us. Lord, for the men that are here, whether they are grandfathers, great-grandfathers, whether they're fathers with older children or small children, or maybe they're not yet married yet, or maybe they're married without kids, or maybe they're single and wanting to be married. I pray that you establish and strengthen each one to be the man that you desire them to be, to follow your word with a holy conviction and fire, to be the hero. Lord, for those women that are here, that are longing and yearning in the depth of their being for their husband to be that, I pray, Lord, that you give them pure conduct, a patient spirit, and a praying heart. Lord, help them not nag, but help them to show by their example that they are Christ followers. And Lord, I pray that the husbands might be one without a word by the conduct of the wives as Peter has shown us. I pray that there might be a transformation and establishing. Lord, for those who are in marriages where they are unequally yoked, Lord, I do pray that you work a miracle and a transformation. Lord, for those that are in marriages where the husband has been a dominator, or he has been a doormat, I pray that you help him to leave that extreme behind and follow what you have laid within your word for him to be. Help him to shepherd his wife and his family. Help him to follow you passionately, pursuing you for the glory of your name. Lord, remove the fog of cultural confusion that has rolled in all around us by the breath and pure air of your word. May we see clearly, may we walk circumspectly, and may we be truly worthy of the calling that you have placed upon us. Your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.